Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm Thomas Mai. And I'm Zancy Weber. The Craving Creativity Podcast is our cry for help. A way to help ourselves as creatives to talk about how we get inspired, how we create, but also how we deal with stress, mental illness, and everything in between. Now, if you're creative, you, like us, have most likely always been seen as the black sheep of your family and always making different choices than what 90% of normal people might do. Uh, Not going for the safe choice, but always living a little on the edge. With the Craving Creativity Podcast, it is our hope to create a safe space where we can talk about being creative. We want to build a community of like minded creatives and help each other subscribe email us and be part of the creative journey welcome to episode four of craving creativity the show where we talk about being creative the show where we talk about all the elements of trying to be creative while living maybe a stressful life or trying to function and my name is thomas Mai, and i'm co-hosting together with zane c weber And in each episode, we try to come up with a quote or story or anecdote as the topic. And then we end with a top personal top three list at the end. So that's the format, more or less. Yep, absolutely. And today we're going to talk about finding meaning in chaos. Yeah, absolutely. So I was, you know, doing research as I do in my day-to-day life. And I came across some advice from Leonardo da Vinci about creative block, how to get past artist block. Like I'm sure we've all been there for whatever reason. We just can't do anything because uh, our creativity doesn't seem to be there. So I've got this quote here. It's it's from an article from the Tate Museum written by Christopher Turner. uh, And it's, uh, this is a direct quote from Leonardo da Vinci uh, that he wrote in a letter. If you look upon an old wall covered with dirt or the odd appearance of streaked stones, you may discover several things like landscapes, battles, clouds, uncommon attitudes, human numerous faces, draperies, etc. Out of this confused mass of objects, the mind will be furnished with an abundance of designs and subjects perfectly new. So basically he's saying to look at something that is random, the fold of a drapery, the dirty ground, and let your brain find the patterns, find the shapes, find something that isn't the project that you're hyper-focusing on and let your brain fill in the blanks for you. Mm -hmm. And I find that that's a really interesting way to creativity, that kind of un unbridled creativity whereas I am a very plan centric person I like to go into things with the plan of how things are going to go out and just trust that my brain keeps up with me yes but that approach when you hit that block is is useless because you're <laughs> like okay brain I need to do this now and your brain's like no no nope, not <laughs> not today not tomorrow never again you're a failure uh, you should give up <laughs> um, so I think this is something that as a uh, so something about me is I'm a lucid dreamer. So I remember my dreams and I can control what happens in my dreams usually. Wow. So this really brings to mind
find what happens in a dreamscape where you can turn a face into a clock, into the sun, into, and it's really just taking the bare minimums of the shape and form and turning it into something else. I've never been particularly good at fine art, at painting, at uh, at sculpture or anything, mm. but I am good at, I was good at digital art. Yeah. Um, and... I found that, yeah, taking something that is random, like ink, ink spots or whatever, and creating something from that yeah. was a way to get the creative juices flowing separate to the rigid planning stages of, of art. So I guess my question for you is, does randomness and chaos play any role in your creative process? Oh, that's a very good question, a very deep question. Um, I think that we all need to create, and I, what I hear from the quote you read before from Da Vinci yep. is that, his search for creating meaning. A brain wants to order things, line things, explain things. Yeah. This is from, you know, superstition <laughs> to, to religions, how this start, because this means that, that means that, you know, I'm from the Nordic mythology, right? Yeah. It's thunder. It means Thor is riding on his ox. <laughs> uh, that's not worse in the Marvel movies, but that's how thunder gets created, right? Yeah. So man's search for trying to explain things you can't explain. For me, it's, it's about in the chaos, you for the way I do it is to eliminate. Yeah. Right? By eliminating, I mean we there was an episode upon that, but 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 trying to find a pattern on what all this when I'm bombarded with a lot of information, all this stuff is coming to me. Sometimes I need to sleep on it. Sometimes yeah. think about it. But it's all about finding what is it that's showing up. What is it that right. I need to deal with? And once I find the pattern or the red line or the red thread or whatever you want to call it, then I can make sense of meaning of it. Yeah. And I can tell myself, this is what I need to focus on. I, by doing that, <coughs> I saw of the the uh, the question or the the, uh, or the project that I need to focus on, I just got to throw yeah, my, my, absolutely. my throat here. Now, sorry, <laughs> talk. <laughs> I mean that is that's very similar to my process. Is like when I'm feeling overwhelmed and, and blocked, I will take a time out and literally, rather than trying to create anything, I'll just consume things. Yeah. Um. And through through that process, I kind of rediscover or discover things that are meaningful to me that inspire me and kind of give me that external input that I wouldn't, that I couldn't or can't generate. However, I usually do um, through, through planning and, and kind of extrapolation from, from a seed idea. So I guess one of the things that's, that's happened recently is, is I was, uh, I hit a point in my life where a lot of the podcasts that I had personally worked on had for one another reason kind of hit their end, passed off. And so rather than jumping in and starting um, new podcasts to replace them, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to not start anything until I'm inspired to start a podcast. Uh, So I basically just started consuming media again. And part of my consumption of media is podcasts, but I love movies. I will always watch movies before anything else. Uh, So it's through things like that. uh, I watched a movie called The uh, Last and First Men. It is basically a message to modern day humanity from humanity in millions of years of the future, basically just with Tilda Swinton talking over black and white, stark photography of architecture about the meaning of being human. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that's going to inspire me to do, but it's going to inspire me to do something. I think that's what got me into this question here is like this movie is just evoking by putting no meaning on what you're seeing and contrasting it to the speech that has so much meaning. It makes you try to correlate the two and it, it fires so many 
new ideas just with your brain trying to figure out yeah. what it's consuming. Yeah. Um, and I think that is one of the, the superpowers of the human brain is to look at a cloud and see a dinosaur or see a rocking horse or yes. see a baby's face. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is trying to use that in just by observing through the chaos of the world yeah. um, or by consuming art that isn't directly related to what you're trying to do. Yes. You can create new and interesting connections. Yes. Um, so let me tell personally. So you and I were discussing this because we were doing another podcast together mm -hmm. and we we're talking about maybe we should do a podcast. And it took a couple of weeks where we started referring to it. And then at one point we said, let's do it. And then we should come up with a name. Yeah. And so I was tasked with coming up with a name. That was my creative <laughs> part of it, right? So how do you come up with a name? How do you how do you think about something? So I went home and I said to you before, I think we were speaking on Friday, I said, I'll have a name by, by Monday. By Monday. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'll come up with a name. I was very determined because I told myself <laughs> I can't come up with a name, right? And so I went to sleep that night and I I go in, I start thinking about things and we, you had already, you said you like this kind of name, but somebody already had a podcast, somebody had already a yeah. book, a play, or whatever. It was all these things that people already had, but you liked that angle. So I was like, I was just thinking about it and the word that you wanted was creative. Yeah. You wanted the word creative how, somewhere in there. And I was just thinking, how can, what can we, what can it be? And I came up with different thing. It didn't work. It didn't work. And then on the following day, I was at a kid's playground market with, you know, a fair with some roller coaster. No, I'm, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> there was some, some bumper cars and there was a Ferris wheel, a very small one and a lot of kids, a lot of noise, a lot of people. And I was standing in line on these endless lines as a dad <laughs> while my wife was standing in another line because it took forever. So we could stay take turns. The two, yes. yeah. So she could just run forth and back for the ride she needed to do. And then it just hit me. Craving creativity. And and I don't know why it came. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how it came. I don't know from where it came, but it came. And as soon as it got it, I was like, this is it. Yeah. And I, I knew it was it. And I wrote to you and, and I, I just knew that was it. I, and, I, and I looked it up and said, is anybody called that? No, nobody's called that. So, and but I had asked my brain <laughs> or the universe yeah. or <laughs> the mesosphere or whatever you want to call it. But I tapped into something by actively telling, hey, I'm looking for this. Yeah. And I think our brain is so, and I think we talked about that in a different episode, how we can fine line our brain to look for it, mm. right? You, you, you suddenly, oh, I like that car. And suddenly you see it everywhere, right? Yeah. We talked about that in a different episode, right? Confirmation so, bias. Exactly. Yeah. It, it was already there, but your brain is just filling out those billions of information per second. So otherwise our brain would melt. We just yeah. can't handle all the information. So it just came to me. And I, and, and you were like, this is great. Let's do it. So, and, and, and I'm not trying to say I'm smart or a genius. It's just, I ask my brain to come up with something. And all weekend I was thinking about yeah. it and then it just got to me. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the, I mean, we have, we have obviously have a unconscious or subconscious yes. brain oh, absolutely. that is it. constantly doing things oh, without absolutely. us tapping into or guiding. Yes. It. But um, we can ask it questions and we can force it to come up with ideas. Yeah. And that's how I solve problems. <laughs> and then sometimes there's, you need to do this or this, but usually there's a third, fourth or fifth way. And by actively asking your brain and it's kind of weird, it'll come up with it. And, and the day after, two days after my brain will come up with something I hadn't thought of. Yeah. And it's not because I am smart and I just tap into something that's bigger than myself. Yeah. And yeah. so I guess, again, this, this quote does 
kind of enforce the fact that like, if you're stuck, step away. It's like, yes, step away yeah. and find something else. Yeah. Like obviously in Da Vinci, we didn't have fun fairs to go to. We didn't have, <laughs> we didn't have <laughs> streaming movies that we could watch constantly. No, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we had to look at, uh, we had to look at some streaked stones or yes. some, a wall covered with dirt, Yes, <laughs> which are direct quotes. So I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not picking on Italians here. Uh, so I think that that is another power of the human brain is like, I guess maybe what we're talking about here is tied in with the idea of manifestation. Yes. Is where you're putting what you want out into the world and expecting the world to bring it back to you. Yeah. But what we're saying is like, if you put what you want out into the world in a conscious way, your brain's going to be figuring out how to do it. Yes. And then that can feel like the world delivering something to you. Yes. And then maybe that plays into uh, the idea of a muse, uh, where in ancient Greek creativity, uh, the artists didn't really take much as much credit for the end product as we do now, because they were merely the medium for the yes. muses to create something. Yes. So they would wait for external inspiration, external inspiration Divine to channel inspiration. something down. <laughs> Um, whereas I think now it feels like that, like you were talking about that yeah. aha moment yeah, like I, where it's like, I need to, I need, this is it. Yeah. I need, this is what yes. I need to do right now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's about thinking differently and forcing yourself to think differently. For me, it's about walking. I go, go for walks, you know, at nighttime, just thinking or, or physically move my body. Uh, whenever I, ex which I haven't done in a while. <laughs> um, but when I was exercising a lot and I was playing football, soccer to you a long time ago, or my daughter and all that stuff. I would bicycle a lot. I would come up, I'll be inspired because mm. when you put more oxygen into your brain, it's things clear. Your brain does more. <laughs> you, you breathe more. It comes in there or in the shower. So I'm just, it, it's, don't give up. I mean, and, and as I said to you, I will come up with something and it, I gave myself a deadline and I did the day after. And it, I don't know what, how, but um, same thing with the other podcast we were doing where you're helping on as well. Also the same thing just happened like that. And it's yeah. just, it's just, just the title for that. So it's just, we can tap in something that's bigger than ourselves. Um, and well, it's divine inspiration. That's <laughs> or whether it's just some subconscious saying, hey, try this, buddy, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, if it's divine, yeah. if, you, if you view it as divine inspiration, oh, for me, this was it's not divine. divine inspiration. It, it was not divine at all, at all. <laughs> I think the Greek artists thought it was divine inspiration and uh, good for them. Um, it's just solving problems in a, you know, uh, how do I do this? How do I do that? You know, you can ask yeah. Google or you can try to come up with your own way. So I, I built a bow and arrow for my my daughter. Right. <laughs> we live in, a, in the forest now. There's a lot of land and a lot of things. And so I, I'm not very handy with my hands, but I said, I have to figure this out. So yeah. watching some YouTube, sure. And, but just, just doing it together yeah. with her and create something out of nothing. It was a creative process. And I'm very proud of that bow. It broke because it was a, it, it was bamboo, it's hollow inside, but then I made another bow off of that. And yeah. that one's still lasting. Test so that was on. version 2.0, right? <laughs> so keep testing things. But I was like, hey, I'm a man. I, 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 I did this. So I was very proud of that. So yes. I will, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, and I think we underestimate because we live in a time where creativity is so closely tied to productivity. Yes. Where we have to quantify everything that we're doing and do it at such a rate where we are very rarely at liberty to just step away from a project and wait for inspiration yep. to strike. So I, I think it's, it's now that you can, we, we kind of forget all the interesting and, and very useful things that our brain does.
does. Mm. Like it, it finds patterns where there are none. It makes connections where there might not be any. Like the amount of times that I've woken up from a dream and I've been so emotionally affected by that dream that it's forced me into some action when I wake up. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I was a child, it was like, there's a box of treasure at the end of my bed. I need to go find it. And I was devastated when it was hey, not course. there. But there have been times where I've like, I've just had the greatest idea for a story. And I got up and I wrote uh, down the basis of a short story. And then yeah. I wrote the short story. And it, it, like that felt like divine inspiration. But it really was just my brain of telling course. itself a story. And it wasn't a full story. It was just kind of like, here is a character doing something that you find compelling. And you find this very compelling. You should do something with this compelling idea. Yes. And I felt compelled. And I did. I followed my brain. So I think that is... Because another thing that can help with creativity is like finding the on switch to the flow state where you're not thinking about what you're doing. You're just doing it. Um, that feels magical, <laughs> but you can't just switch it on. <laughs> no, You have to kind of like go through the motions yes. and hope that it picks, picks yeah. up. I, when I was young, I did three or four years of piano lessons. Yeah. I tried to play the piano about a decade ago. Um, and as long as I wasn't thinking about what I was doing, I could play passingly well. Yeah. As soon as I tried to anticipate where my hands were going to go and what I was meant to do, lost it. And so I got frustrated and threw the whole thing away. <laughs> but but I know that the, that flow state of course, is there. Of course it's there. Yeah. And it's like riding a bicycle. You yeah. won't remember. <laughs> I had a dream as well when I was a kid. I knew, I thought I was obsessed with Superman. I thought Superman was amazing. He was strong. He was powerful. He was always taking out the baddies. And I thought when I was six or seven or eight, I thought when I turned 12, I want to be Superman. Okay. Right? And I kept believing that for years <laughs> and years and years. Until that morning when I woke up, I was 12. And I just knew right away, okay, I'm not Superman. Oh. <laughs> and it was so disappointing pointing but it was just also really so just saying yeah dreams and how we influence them but <laughs> but as i said you can also force you to dream about something or go in and work on something if yeah. you have a problem i sleep on it literally sleep on it and then and, and i can come up with a solution the day after and it can be a quagmire where as i said before where there's only this or that it's just those two opposites but there's always three more solutions within that yeah and if you start thinking okay there is another that is a different way that is a different way you will find that way yeah. but you have to subconsciously ask for it. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. I, th I, I feel that if you say out loud, there has to be another way. I'm not going to find it now. Yeah. I'm, walk I'm walking away. Yeah. Your brain will, oh, yeah, it will take over. It will keep working. It'll keep on working. It. That's on what it. it does. Um, so I guess we should move on to yes. our top three lists. Yes, so we should. I asked for top three chaotic artists or okay. works of art. Okay. Um, so I've kind of picked three artists and I can go into their specific works of art that are kind of uh, telltale of their chaos yes, uh, that either disrupted the industry or okay. that have have somehow tied into a different perception of the world. Got it. So um, Interesting. Very excited to hear. Yeah. So I'll start off. My number one is Jackson Pollock. Oh, yeah. So Pollock is famous for his drip paintings. Yes. And there are a lot of people who don't know a lot about his drip paintings. They look at them and go like, my child could do that. <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, in some cases, is you could imagine he puts a, a canvas on the floor yeah. and then he just flicks paint around. Yeah. And that is a little bit like what he Does. did. Yeah. But I think Pollock represents this 
fusion of thought and flow where he's like, I have an image in my head of what I want this to be, but I am kind of surrendering to this flow and the medium that I'm using, the paint and the drips of the paint, hopefully that those two form together to create something else. Mm -hmm. So his most famous work is, uh, what is it called? It is uh, just, it's number five. And he painted it in 1948. And it is just kind of gray, brown, black with yellow and white kind of, it looks just splattered. Now that that is what he's pretty famous for, but there are other works um, that he's done which are much more controlled in form, but you can still see the chaos, like uh, number six, uh, the mural in 1943. But one of my favorite is The Deep from 53. And The Deep either looks like you're lying on the ground looking up at a night sky through white foliage, yeah. or it looks like you're <laughs> floating on the surface of the ocean looking down into this giant crevasse. He still uses the drip technique, but combined with his other techniques, it is, it's so surreal, but it evokes something in you without telling you what it is. Yes. I think that's, that's the magic of Pollock's work is you're looking for meaning because it is there, Yes. but you don't know what it is. Yes. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that a lot. And um, just for the people listening, we don't run these top three lists by each other. Um, <laughs> and um, I don't have Jackson Pollock. That's what I'm trying to say, but I've taken what you said a little bit differently. I guess I've been creative what you asked me. So I took the finding meaning in chaos more literally. And so what I've come up with is three things. And the first one is a book and it's Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which is a very powerful book. For those who don't know, Viktor Frankl was in in the concentration camps. I believe it was in Germany or Poland. And he- I think it was in Poland. In Poland, yeah. And he uh, has, he survived, came out on the other side and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. How can you find meaning in a death camp where people are being killed and slaughtered by the thousands every day and where you are literally a second away from, from being dead. He wrote a very powerful, inspiring book. Um, he became a psychologist or is it a psychiatrist? He became one of those things, yeah. sorry. Um, but it's just, for me, that book has stand, stood the test of time. I'm trying to find meaning in chaos and death and destruction and yeah. And, and the whole Wehrmacht and all that stuff is just terrible. So for me, that's a very powerful monument of finding me. And, and lately, there's another book out. It's called The Happiest Man Alive by a... So it's the same genre. Um, uh, it's it's called... Oh, is it, I had it here earlier. Uh, the Happiest Man Alive, also about surviving the concentration yeah. camp. And it is just a phenomenal book. And I read that and I really encourage people to, to read that as well. And it's done by... Um, oh, what's his name right now? See, I should have... I should have uh, come up. Eddie Eddie Jaku is his name, and I read it a couple. Of, it's very powerful and it's very positive oh, and it's very uplifting. To to it, yeah. And also surviving with his fa- some of his family's members from the concentration camp, but the rest just all died and disappeared. Very gifted kid, and he actually lives in Australia today, and it's an Australian story. Yeah. And so I hope somebody makes that into a movie. It's very I mean, moving. Very. It touching. is. It is. Um. It's something. It's a. That's a recurring theme on this podcast, even though we're only four episodes in. Is that that kind of um creativity from strife? Yes. That creativity yes. from from trauma. From yes. from struggle. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, All right. So, what's your number two on your list? Uh, number two um, is. Picasso. So Picasso is credited with the invention of the Cubism movement. Yeah. Um, but more interestingly is the quote from Picasso. I believe it is from Picasso. I, I didn't look this up. Is that he says, uh, you have to master a form before you can, you have to know the rules before you can break them. Yes. Um, and so the particular artwork that I wanted to point out was Le 
Le Demoiselle d'Avignon, um, which is basically five nudes in a brothel in a cubist style yep. with just very stark eyes that are looking directly at the observer. Yeah. And this upset the artistic community at the time, as well as kind of adding to his cubist repertoire, because not only was it set in a brothel, but the art seemed to be regarding the viewer at the same time as the viewer was regarding the art. Um, so Picasso is obviously a household name and whether or not you like him as a person, he did have a big, a big effect on the artistic community. And I think that is being able to look at a room of five naked women and come away with this as the impression yeah. that is, that takes a, a leap of creativity that isn't in my head. I can't do that. Like I said, fine art is not my uh, forte, but I think, yeah, the way that Picasso could view the world um, is, is uh, a testament to how he could master a form and then change his perception or change the form to meet his perception. Yeah. Um, he, one of my other favorite works of his was a portrait of Gertrude Stein and it is almost realistic. Um, but again, Gertrude Stein seems to be staring very intently out of the painting at you. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's Picasso. Like Picasso had to be on this list just because cubism oh, absolutely. is plays around with perception. I think that's my really in my, my takeaway from this quote is like the the difference between what we perceive and what we are seeing. Yes. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. I think Picasso is very um, inspiring. Um, in some ways, um, I'm not a big fan of the whole cubism, but I like what he's done with it. Yeah. I like how he's changed things. I'm more of a uh, personal painting. This is not my next one on the list, but I just <laughs> want to point it out. I was in my previous life I was a tour guide in uh, in Spain in oh. France um, and had school kids through and I in this small town on the border of France and Spain called Figureros I think it's oh, it's a long time ago anyway I had an 8th grade school class in there to a museum and normally when you put kids in the museum they yeah. don't want to be there it's yes. boring it's ridiculous but this was Salvador Dali's museum the one he built himself spoiler alert huh? <laughs> <laughs> that's my number oh, one okay well there Dali. you go <laughs> alright well so we can talk about that but I could not get the kids are that we were there the whole yeah. day they would not leave they were so inspired by this because this art was so also because the museums there's bread sticking out of the build i mean it, it's very interactive in a i mean he he, he made it himself so it's, yeah. it's his you it's a tour it's your universe you enter a different world and these kids were just inspired and these were eighth graders who yeah. are don't care about anything <laughs> whatever right? i was it was, it was amazing and the teachers were like wow this was really a good idea taking them here <laughs> so um yeah so that was your number one so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'll, I'll come back to Dali. Or okay. We, yeah. All right. So we go on to your. So my second one um, is music. And again, finding meaning in chaos. And it's Eric Clapton. It's the song Tears in Heaven. Okay. And yeah. as most people probably know, he lost his four-year-old son. He fell out a window. The cleaning lady unlatched, unlatched his window. He was crawling around and he fell out. I, I don't know. I wasn't there, but that's the story. Yeah, yeah. But he took that pain and mystery and sorrow and disbelieve and why, why, why does it happen to me and turn into an extremely powerful moving Absolutely. song, Tears in Heaven. Yeah. And I'm not saying pain is good.
good. I'm not saying we should have sorrow and misery, but I'm saying is that he managed to create what I believe is a masterpiece in there, a personal storytelling. Yeah. And to give that to us, and this song lives on to this day and will live on until after he's no longer here. I think I think, I mean, I think that's the beauty of and trauma yep. will exist regardless of what happens around us. Yes. But yeah, the ability to take Correct. that and communicate that yes. through a song or yes. through a book or through a piece of art, that is that is a distinctly human thing. To come back to storytelling, like we said last week, yep. um, the ability to tell a moving story about the traumatic experience yes. so that people don't have to go through that to understand yes. or at least come part of the way towards understanding. Yes. Okay. And I don't want to sit here and, and tell him what his, <laughs> there's been interviews with him why he did that. But from what I understand, he did that to create meaning yep. in something that is just so horrible. Any any parent should not bury the kids. Mm. It should be the other way around, right? They, they should bury you. But leaving this legacy so that the story goes on is just it's just powerful. I just think it's an amazing song. Absolutely. So, yeah. It is a great song. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah. So, my final one is Salvador Dali. Drum roll. Salvador Dali. So, Dali is chaotic in so many ways. Yes. Not only is his art all about perception and how things aren't being perceived as they should be and like uh, psychedelic and, and that, and kind of, it went on for decades and decades. Yeah. Um, but he was also, he had such a strong personal brand. Eccentric, and, yes. And it, it expanded outside of art. Like there's pictures of him walking his pet anteater in Paris. And, and like you said, he, one of his latest, I think it was 1970 that he did, um, oh, well, he, he did a room, a portrait of a famous Mae West as, uh, a room as like an architecture piece, an installment that you could go in and like sit down in. It was it was photographed for a uh, a newspaper. Um, let me just look this up. Face of May West, which can be used as an apartment. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's basically an apartment yep. that from the doorway resembles May West. Uh, and, and that's the one that's in. Yeah, and it becomes <laughs> it became furniture, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's part of furniture, which is well, it's at a museum, and so these kids were just they're just loving it yeah i could not get them out normally you want to spend an hour in a museum we were there all day <laughs> could not get them out of that museum and my I'm, and I these mean, were kids who were on, on vacation <laughs> in spain who were going to go see barcelona and we were going to go see the the uh costa del um uh costa brava and all these different places and then they were going to run with the bulls yeah well, we didn't do that but that's further down but um but but we were we were supposed to just have a vacation and a fun time and yeah. be on the beach and playing games. They could not, could not get about the museum. So that's just the power of Salvador Dali. Absolutely. Like his play with perception, my favorite of his works is his self self-portrait. It's yeah. labeled soft self-portrait, yeah. um, which is basically just like the skin of his face held up by these like skewers. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of melting, very reminiscent of his clocks. Yeah. Oh, I love but those clocks. Yeah. On, on the, the pedestal of his portrait, there's a piece of bacon. Um, and that's in reference to how Michelangelo represented himself in the Sistine Chapel as a piece of flayed skin. That That's how, and so Salvador Dali was likening himself to Michelangelo. I'm like, wow, this is, that's a big call to make very, very early in your career. Because <laughs> I think this was the early 40s that he did this. Well, he was quite eccentric, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, absolutely. But again, chaos and perception, all oh, kind yeah. of perfect storm in, in Dali. And like that, that mustache is forever going to be um, regarded as a Dali. Dali. Yeah. <laughs> you also made a movie. Yes. Uh, what was Very it called? Very scary movie. Um, um, yeah. We will research it and put it in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> as you can tell, we have not prepared
prepared much. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we certainly haven't shared lists with one another as it's coming up in each week, as you can hear. But that's also part of the fun and the mystery. Absolutely. Have an open and honest These discussion. These are creative about, ways that we approach the lists. <laughs> yeah. So, un chien andalou, the chicken from Andalusian chicken, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, it's a surrealist short film. Uh, an artist out of the Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So right. what's your uh, last entry on the list? So it's more of events and something happening. So as we've talked about before, I grew up in Denmark. I grew up in the 70s. This is a time when the Cold War is at its height. Denmark is that little man on top of main continent of Europe, mm-hmm. half on West Germany and half in East Germany. So we had half of a border touched East Germany and yeah, half yeah. a border touched <laughs> West Germany. Poland was over there. So there was the uh, the alliance, <laughs> the uh, the NATO on one side, and yeah. there was the Warsaw Pact on the other side, yeah. right? And we were just the first one to get hit, whatever <laughs> happened. And growing up on on, on that border uh, with this country that was so divided and the fear of war breaking out, you know, we had to learn how to in the class be underneath our desks. And, mm. and we had sirens run once a week in, 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 in the city because we'd just come out of one war. And so it was just, it was just, there was, ever ominous present fear war right and nuclear war and then Cuba crisis all these things so I grew up in that time and that element and then I managed to go on interrail when I was 14 15 years old you could buy a Europe your rail pass and go around Europe oh wow for for a month you had a ticket you can go anywhere it was amazing it was amazing I was a young man it was just amazing went with two of my friends and we went to Greece we went to Spain we went to all these different places and saw the world in our own time so you had this pass called the Eurorail pass and you can take any train so we took a train by mistake you couldn't do that to Berlin so because you were traveling through East Germany and of course East Germany was not part of this Euro pass right so we had to pay extra for it but we got to Berlin and I remember I was 14 so this must have been 15 it must have been around um, 84, 85 and so the Berlin wall is still up and so there's this city where it has been divided into four sectors right so there's the American side the the English side the French side and of course the Russian side side. Yeah. And so there's a wall around the Russian side. And it's not to keep people out. It's to keep people in. Mm. It had a tremendous effect on me. And it was just very um, influential on seeing that and looking at that wall. Because you could see Checkpoint Child. You could go to yeah. there and you could yeah. see on the other side of people who can't get out. Right? Yeah. And they would do anything to get out. Fast forward five years. November 89. The wall comes down. Yeah. Right? A huge moment. Um, the Soviets are falling apart. And people just walking through the wall. And this, the long story short I'm trying to say here is that how this wall, which identified all these people being locked in, got knocked down. Yeah. Not only got knocked down, but museums around the world, the stones were sent everywhere. And pieces of the wall were, were bid on. People could buy it and people could paint it. And what became a symbol of oppression became a symbol of hope. Yeah. And that's my thing about art and creativity and stories that... It can be anything. And, and this symbol that was about locking people in became a symbol of hope and starting over and Germany got reunited. Absolutely. And, and people, was, it was, and then the whole Soviet, it became a moment of hope in November 89. And it was a very, very touching time yeah. in my life that, that I, I cried when I saw the wall coming down because it was just, I had been there and had seen it live, yeah. how terrible it was. We got towers and people with guns and just shooting and anybody trying to cross it. I mean, I was young at this time, so I don't remember it specifically. <laughs> 
Exactly. But I do remember that not one but two two families that I went to primary school with had a piece of the wall exactly. in their house. And it became art. And, yeah, and, absolutely. And, and it became something else. And it's just, I think and that's what I'm wanting, finding meaning in chaos. That was the title yeah, you, you yeah. gave me. So that's what my third piece is going to be. Well, absolutely. So many people find yeah. this, what could have been a monument to, to horrendous oppression. It is, was a monument. You see, no, it was a monument to horrendous oppression, right? Even now because these it kept pieces of in. it mean the exact opposite. Exactly. Overcoming oppression. Ex- that's what I'm, yeah. that's my point. That's why I wanted to mention that. And I, so it's not fitting into the art category, but it just becomes a different symbol, a different yeah. meaning. And there, I've been back to Berlin many times since, and there's still pieces of the wall uh, here and there in Berlin. But what they've done is they made copper stones. Um, so throughout the street, you'll see this copper stone line. That's where the wall was running because right, they rebuilt yeah. um, the eastern part of Germany. They just tore everything down because it was terrible housing and rebuilt new things. So now you can cross it. There's no worries. But when you're crossing that copper stone, you are entering different parts of Berlin, yeah, which yeah. was once divided, which is crazy when you think about it. Um, the, the the idea to split a city <laughs> at the end of the war is is mind boggling to me. Like obviously, the political pressures at the time meant that it happened, <laughs> but like what what would that mean to people who were living in that city who just happened to be on different sides? Families was torn apart. Absolutely, streets yeah. literally from one street, one house one side in the street to the other's house on the other side of the street. Yeah. Suddenly a wall was built between them. Yeah, right. In the beginning, people could run over, then they could jump over, and then the wall became high and higher, and they started shooting people. Yeah. Right, there's all these famous paintings. Anyway. If you never, if you ever been to, if you ever get the chance to go to Europe, you should go check out Berlin. And there's a museum called Checkpoint Charlie, which is dedicated to this. And it's just yep. such a scary, fascinating story. And it ended well. Yeah, that's what I can say. And now Germany is reunited, and is a force for good, which yeah. I like. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a great, great note to end on. Yeah. Uh, so if you've liked what you've listened to today, please give us a rating and review yes. and a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us. We'll read every one of them today <laughs> with sure happiness. Thank you. Um, and. Um, uh, if you we our email address will be in the show notes and feel free to send us an email if you have uh, a topic that you think you'd like to hear us cover uh, we're always looking for inspiration um, either chaotic or exactly spelled out what you would like <laughs> us to to cover so um, once again I've been Zane C. Weber here with Thomas Mike and we'll catch you next time thank you Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.